You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Different Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today I am in Honolulu, Hawaii, sharing with you another awesome compilation episode where we pick out the top guests of our past 100 plus episodes, and we share the very best tips and tricks that they have, this time based all on health, wellness, and fitness. It's going to be an awesome episode with some big, big names, including Leo from Zen Habits. We have Dr. Sherrod Paul. We have Diana Stobo. We have Julie Bauer from Paleo OMG. And we have Joy from Girls Gone Wad, and last but not least, Luz Garcia, who is my girlfriend and partner with our wellness retreats, which is really exciting. If you like this episode, you're going to love what we're putting on in Bali starting September 30th. Under30experiences.com, check out yoga and mindfulness in Bali if you are ready to take your wellness to the next level. It's going to be a lot about getting in the right mindset. You are going to do the work. We are only going to guide you through it to an amazing place uh, in the world to our villas in Bali, Indonesia. Check that out on under30experiences.com. And no, you don't have to be under 30. We are open to ages 21 to 35. And if you're a little bit older and you can still hang and want to come for the right reasons, we're happy to have you. Thank you very much for tuning in. You are going to get a lot out of this episode. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, Matt Wilson TV. I have been recommitting to posting more, sharing my travels, sharing nuggets from the podcast that I learn and writing and and really trying to build community. So if you want to be part of the Live Different community, hit me on up on Instagram, Matt Wilson TV. Enjoy guys. Thanks. We're here with Leo Babalta from Zen Habits. I'm really excited to talk to Leo. Leo, I followed your work for a very long time. You were an early influence of mine in the practice of mindfulness. I've read your book, Power of Less, and I am uh, most recently promoting a series on mindfulness. So this is going to fit in just perfectly with what all of our listeners and our community have been learning about. So, Leo, welcome. What's the catalyst for, for uh, it sounds like maybe you just couldn't take it anymore? Yeah, I, you know, like I said, I was overweight and really couldn't make that change. But it wasn't just that. Like I said, I was deeply in debt. I uh, had a, a job where I was working too many hours and not seeing my family. I um, just, I was a smoker. I had all, all of these things that I was trying to change. And eventually I just felt so bad about myself that I couldn't change any of it. And I decided I really needed to make a change, not only for myself, but to set a better example for my kids and my wife. And so I finally, yeah, got to a point where, like, I, I have to do something basically to save my own life and the life of my family. And so, um, yeah, I, I started making a change. Uh, the first one was quitting smoking. And that was November 18, 2005 was my quit date. And I put everything I had into that one change. 
I decided just to make one change, and then I could make the rest later. And I finally made that stick. It was, and it was like the eighth time that I tried to quit smoking, and I finally made that stick. And I learned some stuff from researching that. And I started running every day after that um, and started applying the same ideas to other habits, eating healthier, became a vegetarian. I'm now a vegan. I um, started meditating. I started decluttering my life and simplifying started writing every morning and waking early, um, started getting out of debt, and that took a while, but I started doing that. Eventually ran a marathon and lost a lot of weight and started Zen Habits as a result of all of that change. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you've been a inspiration for a whole lot of people. And uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I personally, I'm grateful that you started writing about all this stuff and, and paying forward your lessons learned to the rest of the world. That's that's pretty cool, Leo. And, and I wanted to ask you, um, so you brought up quitting smoking as kind of the first thing that so many people struggle with, but so many people say, okay, I, I know I have to do this. I know I have yeah. to change this. Uh, and we actually have two team members at Under 30 Experiences, our, our travel company. We're a team of about 20 people now, but we uh -huh. have two team members who just in the last couple months, um, they were fairly new team members and they realized, wow, there's a, a nice emphasis on personal development within our company and within our, sure. our community. And so they both quit smoking. Uh, but, you know, this, of course, quit smoking for the last few weeks, few couple months, but it's easy, of course, to fall back into into those habits. So I'm curious how you quit smoking and if you had any any uh, habits that you created uh, that you were then able to apply to other areas of your life. Yeah, no, I actually learned a ton about habits and changing uh, something like that uh, so that I could apply that in, in all the other areas of my life. Uh, one of the biggest ones that I found was you have to have a huge reason to do it because making a change like that, whether it's like starting exercise, which can be very uncomfortable, or quitting something like smoking, it's, you're going to be pushing yourself into discomfort in a way that most people don't like. You know, we, we tend to go towards comfort, uh, which would be like comfortable food that we really enjoy eating, to distractions online and our phones. So that's our mental habit is to go towards a comfort and away from discomfort. And in order to push yourself into the discomfort of quitting smoking or something like that, you have to have a big motivation. And I know that for me, I didn't really take it very seriously for the first seven times. And so when I got, came to, when push came to show, I, I told myself, well, I can do this later. You know, it wasn't that important. So I had to make it much more important to me and make it, something that I took seriously, a big commitment, and have a strong motivation for it. And so I decided that I was doing it not just for myself, but for my wife who was pregnant and was going to start smoking after the pregnancy, uh, or resume smoking, if I didn't quit. Um, and then also for my kids. And so I made a promise to my, I think it was my 10-year-old daughter at the time, uh, that I was going to quit for her. And get, making it about something bigger than myself made it much more important, something that I really was motivated to do. And even though I actually um, failed uh, at one point, I got back on the wagon because of um, my promise to my daughter and my wife. So that was a huge one. 
I also learned um, that smoking fulfills certain needs. Like we think it's a bad habit, but it's actually helping you in certain ways. And one of the big ones was uh, stress relief. And so that need didn't go away just because I stopped smoking. And so like your coworkers who um, maybe do well for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, eventually that need will come back and you need to have a plan for meeting that need in another way, a healthier way. So the need of stress relief is a huge one, or if you're dealing with some kind of huge financial crisis or, or life crisis, or um, maybe you're getting into a big fight with your significant other, how are you gonna deal with that conflict or crisis or stress um, other than smoking? Because that's your default is to go back to smoking. And um, so you need to have another way to deal with that need. So I had to figure that out. And that's, those are things that you don't think about. And you have to think about them when you're strong, not when you're uh, weak and facing the, the urge. Um, another big one that I found uh, really important, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm just like rambling here. No, no, Larry, uh, this is why you're here. <laughs> all right. So I uh, was urges. Urges come up for us like throughout the day. And I, I mentioned online stuff and food and phones. The urge to check your phone and check your email, check your Facebook and eat, eat the French fries or potato chips or whatever it is. Those are just constant throughout the day. And we just follow them blindly because we don't know what a big influence they have on us, what power they hold. And I had to sit there and watch my urge to smoke. Instead of running to it, I had to create these obstacles to go uh, to, to stop myself from running. And when I had obstacles, like I, I threw away all the cigarettes, for example, and I had to go to the store to get the cigarettes if I really wanted to smoke. Because there was that obstacle, or uh, you might call it a moat around yourself, because there's that moat, you actually have to be more conscious and mindful of that urge. And so I would just sit there and watch the urge. And it was how I actually learned about meditation was just, I was meditating on this urge just really getting strong and it's so powerful and we just naturally tend to just run towards that urge I mean run and as if the urge was a command um, but I just I learned that I could watch it and it was immense discomfort and yet I could actually handle it I had a great capacity to handle that discomfort that I didn't realize was there before so that was an amazing thing was just to see my capacity to handle that urge and the discomfort of it, and then watch it go away because the urge doesn't stay forever. It's just a temporary little thing, you know. Um, and that that ability to watch an urge and to deal with the discomfort actually transferred to every area of my life. It's one of the most powerful lessons I learned from that. We have Julie Bauer from Paleo M Paleo dot com. I hope I spelled that out correctly, Julie. Did I uh, do it? Did I do a, do a good job at that? P A L E O M G dot com. Yeah, just flow into it. Just say Paleo M G. Paleo M G. Okay, it sounds yeah. a lot better. It would have been it would have been better if I had. You have a, a nice explanation on your website about how to say it. Uh, but it's much better when I hear you say it. <laughs> so, Julie, you have um, you got a paleo cookbook coming out, Julie Bowers' Paleo Cookbook. And we were kind of talking before just about, um, just about how eating healthy has changed your life and how um, doing CrossFit has changed your life. It's made you comfortable in your own skin. Um, I really just want to kind of 
chat a little bit today about food and eating, and I was I was telling you um, that I don't struggle so much in the grocery store because I know what foods are good for you because I've studied this stuff, but in the kitchen uh, is where I struggle because making I, I mainly eat for fuel. I don't so much eat for, uh, for, for something that necessarily tastes good, although I like the foods that I eat. Um, yeah, can you you want to tell us your story a little bit, Julie? Yeah. Um, well, I started eating paleo a little bit into college. Well, I was shouldn't say that. It was at the end of college, so I was just getting out, and I decided to try paleo out. And um, I was crossfitting at the time, and I wanted to get better at um, crossfit, and I wanted to compete at the regional level and hopefully at the games level. And so, since I wasn't the strongest or fastest, I just decided to change my diet, and hopefully that would give me a leg up. And um, I. My body completely changed. My I had more energy. I slept better. My workouts were better. Everything was better once I changed my diet. It was just blew my mind. So um, I just started sharing recipes with some friends, and a gym asked me. Actually, the gym I was going to asked me to share recipes online. So I started sharing recipes on their website, and before I knew it, I was making my own w- recipes and decided to make my own website, and that's kind of where it came to fruition to here. Um, but I just, I pretty much, when I started changing my diet, I was like, I can't eat food just to fuel. Like you said, you do. I needed to enjoy my food. Food eating is like my favorite thing ever. So I want to enjoy every second of it. So I started just trying, trying out new recipes and seeing what things tasted together, good together. And over time, just kind of created the website I have now. So it's constantly playing around with recipes and failing. I failed at a recipe today, so it's no easy feat all the time. But yeah, that's where I am today, I guess. Huh. Well, I I hate to see what you would say about my failures of recipes. I'm sure yours was edible. I'm sure yours was edible, or maybe you you wouldn't eat it, but I bet I would. Is is that a, a fair assumption? Oh, it was totally edible. I still ate it, but it just didn't come out what I wanted it to look like, and it was, like, falling apart. So, can't share it, but it was delicious still. Okay, okay. So, this started out of, uh, obviously, out of necessity. You were trying to um, figure out how to eat something healthy and help your performance. Um, And and so, you just started blogging about that. Can you tell your story a a little bit on your on, on how you got the blog to be where it is today because you have a massive social media following. I, I just liked you guys on Facebook and I think you're over three hundred thousand followers right now. Yeah, I um well I started my blog, a friend helped me put my blog together and I actually was trying to figure out a blog name. I was like, what should I put as the name? And um a friend was like, what about I think I think she said paleo MG or paleo my goodness. And so I started my blog up paleo MG on a simple website and had a friend help me out with it. And then, um, just started posting recipes. And I'd say a year after that, I had a guy come to me and he was like, I want to create a new website for you because it's terrible now. And (laughs) 
it could, I want it to be easier to search. So I pretty much want to make a website for you so I can search it easier. I was like, okay, that's fine with me. Wow. And so he created this awesome website that I have now. He um, helped me change everything and add everything and it was awesome. And so, um, pretty much the crazy world of social media just helped me grow, um, to that, the amount of followers it was, um, before Facebook kind of changed their, um, they, now you have to pay for, for anything to be shared. But before that it was, people were sharing recipes and you would see it on the newsfeed all the time. And so I got followers through Facebook and Pinterest and Instagram. And so that's kind of how my social media following happened. And, um, I, when I, my book, when my website was fairly new, I had a publisher contact me about doing a cookbook and I had never thought people would want that because it's free on the internet. And so I decided to do a cookbook and, um, I did another cookbook last year, but with a different publisher, I decided to go with a different publisher the second time. And now is the week I'm finishing up my third cookbook and with that same second publisher. So, it's just kind of grown within the last three years. It's just changed every single day. Damn, Julie, congratulations. That's, um, that, that's a really cool story. Um, if, if people are, are listening right now and they're like, what are these nerds talking about with their CrossFit and their paleo and all of these kind of buzzwords? I guess you'd definitely call them buzzwords today, but... For someone who's never been into a CrossFit gym or they don't understand what it means to eat like a caveman and how it could possibly taste good, what, is, what does all this mean for, for the everyday person? So paleo in very um, simple terms, it's just pretty much eating to what our ancestors ate before the Industrial Revolution. So before we were able to process grains and make them edible for us, um, this is more so what we ate. So we ate simple foods that you would find in nature um, that you would hunt and gather. So maybe that was... Um, Back then, maybe it was a bull or it was a deer or um, they found some nuts and seeds or berries out in the wilderness. It's going back to those simple things. Yes, we live in a different time now, so we're able to get more meats, um, chicken and cow and just things that are here nowadays. Um, and we're able to process things differently, like make almond flour. And so we can make baked goods grain-free with almond flour substitutes. Um so it's really just going back to simple foods that we're supposed to eat. So we're taking out the crap. We're taking out grains. We're taking out um, really processed dairy products that we don't want. And we're taking out um, legumes as well. And just going back to simple foods that our body is made to process and we can process very well. Okay, Julie. So if I'm the everyday listener right now, I'm probably thinking – why would I want to go back to the time of the pre-industrial revolution and eat like they did back then and forage and gather and hunt for my food when now we have all this technology that can just get food to the grocery store and we can just eat it simply and easily? A, it sounds like a pain, but B, uh, isn't that an inferior way of eating? Um, I'm, I'm kind of setting you up here for hopefully a, a slam dunk. Can you, can, but if you haven't heard of it, that's probably what you're thinking. You don't understand the concept of paleo. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Yeah. I mean, I was exactly where that person is saying, um, years ago saying paleo was bullshit and you know, it didn't make any sense with where we're at now. But if you take a step back and you look at the world around us, if you look at America and how incredibly overweight and obese many of us are, um, of course, it has to do with our lack of exercise for many people, but it most likely has to do with what you're eating on a regular basis. If you go back 50, 100 years ago, we didn't have many of the health issues that we have today, um, and that's because of how much our uh, food has changed over time, how much of it is packaged, and how much of it is just fake food at this point. Um, and so if someone looks at statistics. It looks at obesity. It looks at um, people overweight. It looks at child obesity. Any of those statistics, they'll notice that these are people who are eating packaged goods on a regular basis. It's not a person eating meat and vegetables, the food we were made to eat. And if you look back, our bodies are very similar to our ancestors. Like our bodies are digesting the same way. So if we're loading it with sugar, when our ancestors rarely ever ate sugar, our bodies are going to not going just adapt to those. It's going to kind of push back. And that's why we see so much of this sad statistics nowadays. Okay. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Can you give everybody the basics of what is at uh, the core of the paleo diet with your meats, with your nuts, with uh, whatever else it is, what you do eat, and then what is don't touch? Yeah. And you'll hear this a lot, but think of it, um, even any dietitians will also tell you this, of shopping the outside of your grocery store. So if you stay on the outside instead of going in the aisles, um, you're going to go across meats, you're going to go across your produce, so fruits and vegetables, um, some starchy vegetables like sometimes potatoes or sweet potatoes or uh, fall squash. Um, You're going to get nuts and seeds, and uh, we want to be careful about eating too many nuts and seeds, but we want to get those good fats in us as well. Um, You're going to see some raw dairy. Some people have that with paleo. They call it a primal lifestyle. Um, It's harder to find raw dairy. You you can't sell it in a grocery store, but if you can get that from a farmer. Um, And then staying with high quality fats, so coconut oil, coconut, um, extra virgin olive oil, avocado oil. So you're just staying with simple foods and creating meals off, off of them. So a lot of my dinners, I'm going to have pork chop with vegetables and maybe a little avocado on the side for some extra fat. Um, that's pretty much it. It's really simple. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, you're staying away from any of the inside aisles. So any of the packaged food, um, don't try to just reheat your meals all the time. Find meals that you have to cook yourself and limited cooking. Um, Stay away from cereals. Stay away from any packaged goods that have this huge list, laundry list of ingredients and half the things you can't even pronounce. Um, Staying away from sodas, staying away from anything that's super high sugar. And that's about it. You're staying just with simple foods. That's awesome. I'm so happy that you said the walk around the outside of the grocery store trick and then 
dash in when you need to go in and, and pick something up uh, from the inside. I just told this to two of my friends. Actually, I think it was yesterday. And they were like, oh, yes, ice pops. Oh, yes, ice cream. And they said, uh, what else did they say? They started listing all of these things that were on the outs. They were like, oh, cake. The bakery's definitely on, right? And I was like, uh, okay, maybe you're not quite getting it. Yeah, you gotta, you just gotta think simple. That's as as easy as it gets. Simple. Yeah, no, and I I also like the rule if you uh, do venture into the inside and seriously still on the outside of the of the uh, grocery store, you have to look at the back of the package and see. Okay, what is in this? And if I can't pronounce it, if I don't know what the hell it is, well, then you probably shouldn't be putting it in your body because. You don't need a PhD to be able to, you shouldn't need to have a PhD to be able to go to the grocery store, but these days uh, you, you pretty much do. So if you stick to the basics, uh, I really like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, okay, so now can you tell us how to make this stuff taste good? Because I go around the outside of the grocery store and I will pick up all of my produce and I'll pick up my olive oil and my coconut oil and I eat, um, I don't know, I eat a couple avocados per day and basically what that means is I cut open an avocado, I take the core out and I eat it like a caveman. Occasionally I'll put a little oil and vinegar on it and some sea salt and that makes it taste a lot better. And I, I really do like eating like that and it's very quick to prepare and it's uh, they're good healthy snacks and you know, I eat a lot of almonds and different mixed nuts and uh, I could continue all the way around the grocery the grocery store like that my my smoked salmon and whatever but I'm not very good at putting this stuff together into more than just a meal that I take out of the refrigerator and put on a plate luckily I've I've been able to figure out what the right foods are to eat but how, how do I start making this stuff uh, into a little bit more elaborate but still quick and easy meals? Well, you can definitely get my cookbook because it has so many of those recipes in there. Excellent. There. Excellent advice. <laughs> but I, over time, you have to learn to use herbs and spices. Herbs and spices give food flavor. So if you have ground beef that you're just cooking up, if you cook plain ground beef, put a little salt in it, cool, that's fine. But if you add things to it, you know, if you're adding chili powder and um, oregano and red pepper flakes, you can give it kind of a Mexican flair, spicy flair to it. So over time, you learn to use spices and herbs to change the flavor profile and to give it more depth and um, a little bit more excitement. So I always tell people to load up on herbs and spices. You have those in your your pantry for a long time. They don't go bad very quickly, so they'll be well worth the money you spend over time on them. And... um, Use, try different things. So we always get stuck in using the same food all the time. So when I first started paleo, every single meal, literally every meal, I had chicken, broccoli, avocado with some hot sauce on it. And I loved that. And I was totally fine with that. Um, But if someone sees that and is like, I can't do that at all, that's fine. Try different things. So instead of having my broccoli, chicken, and avocado, um, 
try a different vegetable with it that you haven't tried because you might find something that you really enjoy and that you never knew. So trying different stuff at the grocery store will open up uh, that meal to new new possibilities and making it taste better. So I always recommend herbs and spices, um, adding, trying different new vegetables, new meats, whatever that may be. And then definitely invest in a slow cooker. So invest in a, um, any sort of, um, slow cooker that you can cook beef stew in, that you can cook short ribs, that you can cook chicken and shred chicken to make your own little, um, taco salad. You can do all kinds of things in a slow cooker and it's so easy. So anybody who's intimidated by cooking is a really easy stepping stone, um, to creating really tasty meals. Today we are joined by our very special guest, Joy Parrish, LPC, the licensed professional counselor and host, co-host of Girls Gone Wad podcast. Joy, how are you doing? Hey, Matt. I'm great. It's so fun to talk to you again. I, uh, I'm really glad to, to chat and uh, I have, I want to open it by asking you, and this is something I've never addressed, I don't think on my podcast, but I always say the same thing when I introduce people, I always call them a very special guest. I don't know why, but I just got in the habit and uh, I don't know, I think it rolls off the tongue nicely, but uh, I guess I'm I'm blowing up my own spot here, letting you know that it's been, you were a very special guest, but also 70 other people that I've interviewed so far. <laughs> so sorry, Joy. I'm in a good club. Let's just put it that way. I'm kind of like, in the secret society of Matt Wilson's podcast, so I'm 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 okay with that. I'm I'm glad to hear that uh, that you're still okay with it. Uh, I want to kind of have a just a open ended conversation. We started to catch up, but we talked for about thirty seconds, and then we we kind of said, well, we should just start recording this and yeah. and go for it. Uh, of course, there's some things that I want to get into because I find it so interesting that you have a podcast first of all it's called girls gone wad which is yep. quite provocative joy and it's you know it's real provocative. <laughs> and and uh you're a licensed professional counselor and so that's fun to to talk about maybe the intersection where uh crossfit and also uh, yeah, counseling and, and all the, there's so much to talk about, I, I guess. So we'll, we'll, uh, not spoil where we end up going. You know, there's so many options. I, especially just being a therapist, I know how to, to give people resources to find counselors in their areas. So I, I, I also want to say that you don't really have to have a big issue to go to counseling. It just really feels good to talk to someone who's objective. Um, and then there's always going to be a school in your area that has, um, most likely if you live in a, in a city with a college or a school that has a graduate program, most likely you're going to see a therapist program that they have to have students get clinical hours and all the students are supervised by licensed professional counselors or, you know, licensed social workers or PhDs. So you're really getting a really good quality therapist for nothing. Um, and they have those almost universally at every, uh, university that has a counseling program, a graduate school. 
Um, the other thing that I think is really cool and starting to take off is uh, Skype sessions or uh, there's an app now called Talkspace that is virtual therapy. Oh, wow. That's great. And I'm, yeah, and I'm actually really interested in this and also kind of looking to do this myself because I feel like I, I do love therapy. You, there's limitations because you have to be licensed in the state that you practice. So there's you know, got to be some weird things that you can't really do sessions from other states. And, you know, there's a bunch of hoops that you have to go through as far as liability. But um, that, I think, is a really cool thing that's emerging uh, for people to access therapy that's really, really, really cheap. Um, but you have access to your therapist all the time, um, you know, just through your phone. And I I... I think there's some old school therapists that would be really look down on that, but I think it's brilliant because the more people that have a comfort level of reaching out for help, the better. I don't care if it's walking through a therapy door or, you know, looking at an app on your phone and, you know, t giving a little quick text chat with your therapist like that to me is just way better than feeling like you have to suffer in silence. So there's a lot of different ways I would encourage everyone to, if you have insurance, I always tell folks to Google or um, every insurance plan that you're on, they most likely have some type of counseling plan. I think most insurance insurance plans are really good about covering some behavioral health now, which is great. So if your insurance plan covers some therapy, you can go on their website, whether it be Cigna, Aetna, what have you, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and you just look through their providers. So every insurance plan is going to have a list of providers that they most likely cover. Some will just let you, you know, choose a therapist that takes their insurance, but, um, just Google the names that they cover. And I would always kind of look to see if they, the therapist had a website and then I'd look at their website and I kind of just went off a of vibe. But, uh, I, I think people also need to know that once they choose a therapist or even if they just talk to someone that's on online, um, they have to feel comfortable with that person. So this is not like a dentist where you just go get your teeth cleaned and then you're like, oh, well, I don't really like my dentist, but it's only like once a year. So I don't, right. <laughs> like you have to, you have to, you have to like your therapist. So if you don't like your therapist, you go find a new one because this is not like all therapists are not created equal. And that I, we are so different, whether, whether it be personalities or practice styles. So if you don't like the therapist that you chose or that you kind of just were handed or, you know, whatever the situation may be, please go find someone else because you have to like your therapist for it to be effective. Sure. Sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I like how, uh, well, first of all, I think the app is a, is a great idea or, or Skype sessions or whatever, because that's a huge yeah. barrier for people to be able to actually attend these sessions is yeah. getting to the place and carving out time for the schedule or getting out of bed for some people. And so I, exactly. I think that's of course incredibly important, but I, I think you made a great point to start off about just mindfulness in general and not do, yet. Yeah, don't have Joe or I was going to say Joe Rogan, but Joy and Claire's voice in your head, 24 yeah. seven listening to uh, episode number six and seven in the in the archives uh, to try to make yourself yeah. feel better you know when you oh my god just go for a walk in a yeah. peaceful location and just see what emotions pop up and say oh, i should probably yeah. think, i should uh, probably pay attention yeah exactly or or do some journaling uh, yeah might be a good idea that but no those are those are great yeah, uh, yeah those are those are obviously great resources for people yeah. and so important for people to just feel that they're not alone out there. Yeah, I think that's the 
I, you're going to laugh at this, but I, when I was in school to become a counselor, I didn't think I needed counseling. I was like, sure. I don't need counseling. I mean, it was the weirdest thing. I mean, granted, I was very young and just thought I knew everything, but I just look back at that and I'm like, wow, you know, so when I finally went to counseling, I was like, what? I cannot believe that I was going to be a counselor having never been to counseling. Um, and some programs make that a requirement, which they all should, but my program didn't. So it was kind of one of those things where I was just learning a lot and doing a lot of clinicals. But uh, anyway, I just remember thinking, laughing at myself down the road, thinking I have learned so much about myself as a therapist, how to be a better therapist, and also, of, of course, personal growth. But um, it it can be scary. I think they're the reason I tell that story is at the beginning, I kind of had a stigma about going to counseling for myself. Uh, and I think there was this, you know, I don't know, guilt or whatever it was that I had to go talk to someone and that, you know, I really was just wanting to be a helper in this world and I don't need help. And my goodness, that's just the stupidest way to think. And I'm so glad I finally, uh, took the plunge and saw a therapist because I think everyone can just benefit from having, having a space to just come in and unload. And I'll tell you what, nine times out of 10, I'm not kidding you when I say this, nine times out of 10, when a patient walks into my office and they sit down in the chair and they just start crying because they've been holding on to whatever they've been holding on. Like wow. this is when I, when I first meet a patient, okay? This isn't every single time they come in, but it's their first visit. The first visit is always like, just unloading. You can just literally feel the weight fall off their shoulders and they're allowed to cry and just lose their shit. Um, and so I, I kind of like lovingly would always joke with them. Like, I wish I had a sign on my wall and I still should just like paint this on my wall that says, it's totally okay if you cry on the first visit because everyone would just start crying and they'd be like, I'm so sorry. I haven't even like met you yet. And <laughs> I'm already unloading. I'm like, this is what we're here for. And I have stock and tissues, so don't even worry about that. Um, so yeah, it's, that just tells said so much to me about how much we carry and how much we walk around just carrying the weight of the world when you just walk into a therapist's office and just immediately start crying. Cause you know that you can walk into a space and just finally let go. But I think also people are uncomfortable with feeling negative emotions. So we always, you know, what do we do when people are crying? You want to try and make them feel better. Where there's part of me, it's like, nah, you just got to feel that shit sometimes. Right. We have to, like that's part of being human is to just feel shitty. Um, and then, you know, I think we're always wanting to be very quick to clean up the mess or fix it or what have you. Um, but that's part of the human existence is just, you know, being like, yeah, this totally sucks. This just sucks. You know, that's yeah, that's, that's so important to know. And that goes back to what you said about your podcast is you talk about real things that, yep. you know, you talk about the shitty parts of life with your best friends and people understand that they're not a not alone. Today, I am here with Dr. Sherrod Paul. He is the author of the new book, The Genetics of Health, Understand Your Genes for Better Health. I'm really excited because this is a topic that I've looked into extensively myself. Uh, and I know a lot of our podcast listeners have 
heard a good amount about me doing things like going on to 23andMe.com and spitting in a small tube and getting my uh, genetic profile back and looking into things uh, that are, are very important to me, uh, susceptibility to disease and how we can uh, design our lifestyles around the science that we know that, uh, you know, with our, with our genes. So I'm really excited to get into this conversation. Dr. Paul, thank you for joining us. Well, my pleasure. Good morning. And thank you. Thank you. You are uh, based in New Zealand. It sounds like you have lived across the world. I believe yes, that yeah. you were born in England, uh, spent some time in India, and then went to Auckland, was it, to university? That's right, yeah. Yes. Excellent. Well, uh, yeah, thank you for, for waking up on your Saturday morning as it's Friday afternoon here. Uh, yeah, here in the United States. Uh, yes, yeah, so I wanted to really just dive into what people can, can understand about their own health, uh, especially as it comes to their line of genetics. I know most people listening right now are probably thinking, okay, uh, I have a family history of X, Y, and Z. Uh, it could be, you know, I, I've mentioned several times on the podcast for me personally, uh, my grandfather on my mother's side has Alzheimer's. Uh, my dad has uh, Parkinson's. Actually, uh, I usually just say Parkinson's, but it's a, a more rare disease called PSP. Uh, Parasupranuclear palsy, uh, I believe it, it stands for. If I if I got that right, we just usually refer to it as PSP, but it's very similar to, to Parkinson's. Um, and these are things, actually, I, I logged on to 23andMe.com, a genetic testing site, and I found out uh, just today they had a new report available about macular degeneration and I found out that I was a little bit more susceptible to uh, going blind as my late grandmother did. So a lot of interesting things here and a lot to learn about uh, how we can then take action in our own lives to be able to prevent these things. So uh, Dr. Paul, could you give us a little bit of an overview of, of what people can really learn uh, you know, about their, about their genetics and what they can do? Yeah, so the first thing is, um, one thing I've often said is uh, we must look at genes are our blueprint, but they're not our destiny. So we really are in control. Um, so genes basically just make proteins. So depending on our lifestyles or actions, um, they may make good proteins or bad. Yes, sometimes we have a genetic predisposition to have some genes which fundamentally make some uh, negative proteins. Uh, so, so that's the first thing is that, you know, you know, genes are just a blueprint, they're not our destiny. The second issue is that, um, like I talk about in the book, The Genetics of Health, so I'm really into testing for um, wellness rather than illness, because as we know, stress is a major part of our lives and also stress has major health implications. So in my view, um, until there's something is definitely curable, there's no point testing for things which we don't have cures for, like, you know, for example, you know, you could take Alzheimer's or macular degeneration into that. So, so, so in my view, um, I tend to um, look at it that 
what can we do to optimize our eating and exercise to live happier, healthier, fitter. So that's one. And the second point is that everything in life, every disease or anything is a combination of our genes and our environment. So genes aside, the environment includes our external environment, which is, you know, our climate and pollution and things like that. To some degree, we have less control over it because we're often not the decision makers. But then it comes to our internal environment, which is, of course, our bodies and what we put inside it. And those are the things we're in control of. So what I focus on is our differences uh, with regard to what our bodies are suited to and how we can optimize our internal environment. Okay, and that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, do you suggest that everyone go to one of these sites uh, and get a genetics test so that they can see uh, what they may be pre predisposed to? Or are you, are you saying, okay, look, you might know you have some things in your family, but we're just going to focus on making sure that you live an optimal lifestyle? Yeah, I'm a, if I was a good businessman, I'd say everybody goes to my site, sharadpaul.com, and does my own gene test I've developed. <laughs> but that aside, uh, truth be told, I think we can be intuitive about certain things. But yes, I'm not a great fan of testing for illness unless they're specifically we can do. So I really, I focus on, in, the, in our testing, we don't do the whole genome sequencing like 23andMe and others, they do the whole lot. We basically do diet and exercise so how effectively it's how can you exercise and how can you eat for your gene type but taking back that question a bit does everybody need a test not necessarily so but there's some gen generalities as you would have noted from the book that we can do you know we can follow as close to um, uh, you know a blue zone which we were just briefly uh, talking about off air kind of a diet we can you know exercise more movement is so important flexibility so there are many specific things we can do to optimize health but if you wanted to take it to the next level and fine-tune it um, then yes definitely taking one of these tests is helpful um, like you know it will tell you things like I tested myself, you know, you can look at things like coffee and vitamin C and vitamin D and what kind of exercises are best for you and things like that. Okay, great. Well, I think that those three places would be a great, uh, a great place to start. Of course, everyone loves coffee and that's interesting to, to so many people, but also vitamin D, which is, geez, uh, just incredibly important that everyone be receiving, uh, sunshine. And you're also a skincare expert. So I'm curious where you stand exactly, uh, on that issue. And then, of course, you know, just, just diving into, to dive, uh, diet and exercise maybe we should start the, maybe we should start there and diet and exercise and uh, could you explain a little bit as to what your book goes into and how your genes can play a role into uh, different types of diet and exercise that people should pursue yeah so basically i came on this journey um, from my work in skin like you pointed out and it's really because um the two things, one thing we know is you cannot have bad health and good skin, so just skin reflects what's going on inside. So everybody was wanting to look younger, have better skin, asking about anti-aging stuff, and really the secret to all that is fundamentally 
making sure that your internal environment is very, is optimal. So that's one. And and the second thing is when we're talking about skin diseases like dangerous skin cancers, for example, the first thing if somebody's got an advanced melanoma, you know, which has spread, the first thing we do is test their gene type to see if certain medications would help them or not. So what I thought is, you know, how come when it comes to illness, we always test um, genetics um, straight away, but we don't do it for wellness. And, and so that really took me on this journey. Today, I am here with Diana Stovo, the author of Get Naked Fast, Stripping Away the Foods That Weigh You Down. Diana is the owner of The Retreat, a beautiful place that I had the chance to visit in Costa Rica. Uh, and she is also launching a probiotic prebiotic bar, which I'm really excited to talk to her about. She has a wealth of knowledge on detoxifying your body, becoming healthier, has an amazing story, and uh, I'm really excited to talk. So, Diana, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on right now in health and wellness, and I'm like, you know, right there. <laughs> right there. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, that I listen to so many podcasts and listen to so many, uh, read so many books on the subject that the wealth of information that's out there and now accessible to the world where before it was go to your doctor and get a pill, uh, but now you can actually have the ability to take your health into your own hands and a an approach that actually prevents these things so you don't have to start thinking about it in uh, you don't just think about it when you get sick. You can you can prevent all of the different ailments that are are so common in today's world. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to to chat and uh, maybe if you don't mind sharing a little bit of your own story, uh, I think that'd be a great place to start. Yeah, no, I will. I actually want to um, talk about what you just said because um, one of the things that I see is. There are a lot of books out there, and books are really important to read because books are the ones that um, have done the research, have done the, you know, not opinion books, like real research books that can tell you the truth. If you're getting your information off the web or if you're getting your information out of media, you're really not getting correct information. And I think people get really, really confused, and they think that they know, and I run across this all the time, and sometimes I'm not very popular because – I demystify their belief systems and, you know, tell them that that's just a bunch of malarkey and that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And people wear their their health and wellness like a badge of honor, you know. they If they decide they're going to be paleo or keto or they're doing some kind of diet or they're, they're whatever they're doing in their life, they they protect it because it's it's a belief system. It's like a religion for them. Sure. And – and they don't want to hear anything else. They don't want to believe. And the I pride myself on being a guinea pig. Like I am a Petri dish. And I'm not always doing well because because <laughs> I'm always trying something new. But I can't teach if I don't know. If I don't experience, then I'm worthless to to my clients, to my, you know, to my guests. So um, it's really important that um, people recognize that there's so much more information out there than what they get. I appreciate you prefacing the conversation with that because there's so many people who just want to get on their soapbox and then they realize 
that they may be wrong about something that they believed six months ago, a year ago, five years ago, or, or 10 years ago, if they've been uh, doing this for a career for a while, and that's how they make their money. And so they're worried about this, and then and they're slow to change. They become the old, just like the old archaic system that we're working so hard to, to defeat. Uh, so yeah, I, I really appreciate that sentiment from you, Diana. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's very close to my my heart because, um, you know, I battled myself and I have a my history goes back to when I was a teenager and turns out I'm a very sensitive person. So I, I feel everything. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people like that who um, go through life and, you know, an emotion will swell your body. Uh, uh, one food will change your, you know, skin tone. I mean, I'm just that girl. So at a very young age, I learned to use myself as a petri dish to learn to control um, my health, my the way I look, the way I feel, and all that. And I know there's a lot of people who go, "Oh, I never noticed. Like I I can eat this all day long, and then I don't notice anything." Or, "Oh, I never work out, and I'm just perfectly fine until later in life, and all of a sudden, bam, they're hit, sure. and they're like, wow. And they learn nothing because they didn't have to. I was sort of forced to at a very young age. And I tried, in fact, when I was in my teens, um, I decided to go vegetarian. And I mean, I think I was probably 12, 13. And then for a very long time, I didn't know it was called a raw diet, but I was on a raw diet for so long. I was making my own almond milk way back, <laughs> way back in the late 70s, actually. Wow. Um, early, yeah, early 80s. And so, um, but I didn't know what that was. And of course, then I got married and I started eating like my husband did, which was, you know, go to uh, sports bars and eat burgers and drink beer. And that immediately affected my body. And so I had to like, you know, realign myself with my truth and who I am and what I need to eat back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you know, trying to be normal because I see everybody else being normal. Why can't I be normal? And finally, um, I had my babies and I ended up having, I had to have, I had ectopic pregnancies so I was pregnant eight times, and I only had um, two uh, pregnancies to fruition. One was twins, and the other one was a singleton, but those were done through in vitro fertilization. Well, you know, in vitro is just loading your system up with a bunch of drugs. So, again, causing issues in my body, being really sensitive. So I blew up um, really unhealthy and very toxic. Um, turns out years later, and I read, I you know, I... I was pre-med. I would tell you when I started college, I was pre-med. So it was an, an interest of mine. But then I had to pay my way through college and it became very difficult. So I kind of bagged out and went communications, blah, blah, blah. Ended up doing food. And here I am circling back around and reading, you know, uh, medical research papers. I just, I love it. I love it. I should have been a doctor. I probably will be before I die. And, and I realized that, um, you know, my body was really teaching me so much about what I needed to know. And um, turns out that ectopic pregnancies are from a candida overgrowth in your tubes. But nobody's actually documented that because they keep it hush-hush under the research papers. And nobody can explain ectopic pregnancies. But if you think about it, ectopic pregnancies is when the, the, um, the egg goes through and it gets stuck. And then it starts to grow in mm. your tube. And then your tube explodes. So that's why I didn't have... Uh, babies normally. I wasn't infertile. 
anyway, then I ended up doing in vitro, blew up, blah, blah, blah. I had to like recover, detox my body from all those drugs and, you know, learned a lot about myself along the way. Uh, finally, uh, went back to my vegetarian and then completely raw diet and healed myself of not only did I have candida overgrowth, but I had E. coli. I had, um, I was precancerous in my stomach at the age of 33. And it was very scary. I had ulcers, bleeding ulcers. And I remember going to the doctor and he said, um, I had to do a laparoscopy and he says, your raw tissue from the esophagus down. And I'm thinking, wait a second. So by the time I eat food all the way down before I excrete the food and raw tissue, like, can you imagine that? That's a long way down. So it freaked me out. So I immediately changed my diet. I got rid of everything in my diet that was inflammatory, which is where Get Naked Fast came from, because I took away dairy, meat, sugar, wheat, caffeine, and alcohol, and within 10 days, there was a huge shift in my health. My skin, I lost 10 pounds. I just really saw a change. So I thought, wow, I'm really onto something here, and I slowly moved into a more raw diet and for two years was a solid raw vegan and what it did is it cleaned my blood it cleaned my tissue they said i had hashimoto's which is an autoimmune disease and if you ask any doctor they'll tell you you cannot get rid of an autoimmune disease and i'm here to tell you that that is a bunch of baloney uh, autoimmune disease is not something that you're you know is it, again not a badge of honor it's something you can heal I hear that with IBS, I hear that with celiac, and people are like, oh no, it's an autoimmune disease, my body's working against itself. And that's just, I can't accept it. Because your body doesn't work against you, it works for you. The only time it works against you is when you're going against what your body's asking for. Then it works against you, it says, oh no you don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? So here I am, healing myself, learning, and then subsequently I began healing other people and helping them. And as an intuit, I began to really look at what people were going through from uh, 10,000 feet up, you know, starting from 10,000 feet up, looking at their overall lifestyle, looking at their overall health, and then getting into the microscope and asking, you know, what's really going on here? So I think a lot of people come at it from two different angles. They, you know, most people have a set rule. This is what you should do and this is how you should live and this is it and this is going to work. And that doesn't work for everybody. And other people, um, you know, just they, they follow whatever guideline. They're not paying attention that each person is individual. You know, why when I was 13 years old, if I ate a hamburger, you know, I was sick in bed for two days. Why why the girl next to me eat four of them and she was fine hanging out at the beach partying? I don't get it. We're different. We all have different microbiota. We all have different microbiome systems. We have different uh, metabolisms. Every single thing is different in each and every one of us. And so we have to address that when we're looking at somebody's health and wellness. But the one thing I did know is that when you, when you eliminate the foods that are causing your body inflammation, you, you automatically start the process of healing. It's an automatic detox without having to put anything more into it. You take the junk out, and whatever's left is going to be a positive. So that's where the book Get Naked Fast came from. And then years later, 
um, I began, uh, you know, I went through menopause. I'm 52 years old. I went through menopause, and that rocked my world. It ended up causing me, a, you know, a lot of anguish, and I ended up getting divorced and blah, 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 and, and somehow landed at the retreat Costa Rica. Um, it was a house that I turned into a retreat, and the idea was to make available all this information for people to come and feel good, feel good in their body naked, feel good about themselves. And so we only serve the finest food, uh, foods that don't cause uh, inflammatory response. We provide a very relaxed atmosphere of beauty and lightness. Um, it's on a crystal mountain, which is a total fluke. Couldn't have chose that if I was looking for I it. I was going <laughs> to ask you about that because when uh, when I got the tour and they told me that, I, I thought, okay, that's interesting. I, I don't exactly know what that means or what the implications are, but uh, yeah, maybe later on we could... We could get into that. Well, I can tell you. I can tell you right now. If you carved if you carved into the mountain, you probably have crystal quartz. You'd have, you know, a quarry. Wow. We're on. We're on a crystal quartz mountain, and all and all the water that goes through it is is in a stream, and so you're drinking this crystallized water. And as as the river goes down, there's a gold mine, and actually we do gold mine tours because um, and and there's a like a waterfall that we take people to. It's one of our best tours. And we just walk over and everybody jumps into the crystal waters and the gold aligned waters. And usually they'll take a quartz with them and, you know, they'll pick it up. A lot of it's been picked over, um, but still they come through the mountain as the water flows. So um, it's kind of cool. And what happens is when you put your feet on the property, like it's, it's jarring. It's actually palpable. The energy shifts. And people will be crying by day three. It's just phenomenal what happens there. And I'd like to take full credit for it because, you know, that would be really awesome if I was that powerful. But I'm not. It's completely done by the crystals. And even the staff is affected by it. Like each and every person who comes onto my property has a shift in their life, a huge one. And if they can't maintain the growth and the positive changes that are happening, they end up leaving. And those who want to push through it and be part of the transformation, they stay and they get better and better and better. And so do the guests. The guests come, they think they're coming to a hotel, they think they're coming to a retreat, blah, blah, blah. By the time they leave, they're crying and they're booking their next trip. We have such an amazing, um, uh, what do you call it, Re regroup, uh, uh, people who come back often. Sure, rebooking. We call it. Yeah, rebookings. It's amazing. They, they literally are checking out and booking their next trip. We have people who go there on accident because they're like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to stop for a day as I'm making my way over to, you know, Tamarindo or something. And they cancel their trip and stay. That's how amazing and powerful it is. And if you look around and you think, okay, this is beautiful. The food's fantastic. The staff is really great. But what makes it so special? It's, 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 you can't even, you can't even put your finger on it. Can you, you can know? you tell me a little bit more about the idea of the crystals? Because uh, I understand, of course, that uh, everything is matter and crystals have a different structure of matter that are going to affect all of the energy around you. And, it, and it's very put, difficult, uh, at least for me, to put this into scientific terms. You know, I understand uh, the 
properties of grounding when you walk on the bare earth and you are absorbing uh, the electrons from the earth and you're discharging all of the uh, all of the uh, the charge like the static charge that you build up during the day being on your computer and being on your devices and uh, it helps reset your circadian rhythms which tell you to wake up and go to sleep so I understand that part of it and I've I've heard some interesting Things. There's a guy by the name of Paul Check who talks about running your water through crystals, and I know it sounds really crazy probably to anybody who's listening, but this is a really credible. Uh, this is a really credible guy, and so who, who actually does understand the science behind it. Could you tell me a little bit more about how the, how having a yoga retreat on crystals would actually help someone feel or make someone feel differently? Sure. Well, I'm not as scientifically profound as I'd like to be on this subject. However, um, what I do know about crystals is, is they are in constant transformation on their own. Remember, they're constantly growing and changing. And it's the light energy and the earth energy and all the things that come in that transform it from dirt to crystal to gold to any kind of metals that are, uh, you know, malleable. So these things are constantly shifting and changing. Being on dirt is absolutely very grounding because you're connected to the earth's core. You put your feet on dirt, you put your feet on sand, and you're getting deeper into the earth's core. Uh, you're getting a connection to um, really the vibration of the planet, which makes you no longer this entity that's not part of the planet, but connected to the planet. And if the planet is constantly shifting and changing, and if the universe is constantly shifting and changing, and then you're connecting to it, then that makes you something that's malleable. So now you put the crystals in it. So you're looking at an area that's particularly shifting at a rapid rate. You're not looking at just one area that happens to be dirt all the way down until it gets to the core, which is all crystals and rocks and, and metals. These are nature, right? But you're in an area that's actually shifting and changing and uh, transforming on a constant, on a constant positive vibration and moving. So imagine when you connect to the earth in an area that's already connecting and growing at a rapid rate. Imagine what's going to happen to you. Today we are doing an in-person interview with another, none other than my girlfriend, Luz Garcia, who is trying to make me nervous and mess up. She is a yoga teacher certified with the Yoga Alliance. She has over 1,500 hours of yoga teacher training. She teaches a mix of Hatha Yoga, Vinyasa Yoga, Iyengar, Ashtanga. She has a certification in prenatal yoga, uh, restorative yoga. She is a detox colon hydrotherapist, reflexology reflexologist, uh -huh. fitness model, entrepreneur, and under 30 experiences, home yoga teacher. Home yoga teacher? House yoga teacher? 
I don't know. know. English is your first language, so don't ask me. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to have to speak English this entire time, which is actually not a problem for you, but it is for me. Yeah. I would, mu I, would, <laughs> I would much rather speak Spanish when given the chance, but <laughs> you like to speak English a lot more. Yes, I like to practice. Cool. Um, so, I want to talk a little bit about basics of yoga and mindfulness. I want to get your story a little mm -hmm. bit, uh, how travel has impacted you because you've been traveling since a very young age. Yes. Talk about an upcoming trip that we have uh -huh. to Machu Picchu. Aha, uh -huh. yes. Anything else you'd like to talk about? Um, no, I'm just ready for your questions. All right, this is going to be really <laughs> exciting. Uh, we can current if you can hear that in the background, guys. Those are the TT monkeys that have <laughs> stopped into the studio yes. here in Costa Rica. A beautiful view. I can count one, two, three, four, five, six at least. That wow. one just took a jump. Yes. Um, but let's get into it. So, yoga. Yoga. It's your specialty? Yes, it is. You have an insane amount of yoga teacher training hours. Yes. Now, most people probably go, oh, our woodpecker is back also. Okay, <laughs> I have to stop uh, nature watching while I'm doing this interview. That's not very polite of me. You have an insane number of yoga teacher hours, training yes. hours, mm -hmm. 1,500. Now, you go to your local studio down the street, Most teachers have a 200-hour training. Yes. Some really good ones will have 500 hours. Mm -hmm. But you have cumulatively 1,500, tons of them. Why do you keep studying yoga? I keep studying yoga because I feel that I'm going to be a student forever. I mean, we have... You know, we have heard of that saying that you guys have, right? I, I want to keep learning. I want to... It's like a never-ending um, thing going on. All the things that are outside, you know, that I want to learn about. So it's a humbling process because, yes, you can be a teacher and you have 1,500 hours. But what really, you know, gives those hours... Uh, like the intent, like the um, weight, is your practice. It's your practice, and how you. T it's not just my yoga practice, but my teaching practice. So, um, you know, I I want to keep learning and getting inspired by other teachers that have made such an impact in my life. Well, I feel that. I want to always uh, bring that inspiration into my classes. It's, yeah, that's why I keep studying. And why yoga? Well, yoga um, has been for me like my life saver. Saver. <laughs> I started practicing yoga um, when I was around 19 or 18 as a way to really calm my anxiety. I am, I was a very nervous uh, teenager. I had, I dealt with a lot of anxiety, depression, uh, body image issues. So a way to really connect and to embody my body uh, was uh, through yoga. So the practice of yoga helped me to 
connect with those parts that were like really, really blocked. Um, and I was able to really, you know, start to love myself with all those parts, you know? I think that's, that's amazing. Can we tell everybody how old you are? I know that's, oh, go ahead. I'm 36. <laughs> and you look like you are 25. I'll say 25 to be nice, but you could pass for much younger. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> and, I, and I say that, of course, not just to flatter with you, flatter with you, flirt with you, and flatter you, uh, but also to say that that means you've been studying yoga for 18 years or something like that. Yes. So I think that's important to find out. And again, nothing against other yoga teachers, but you go to your regular class and you get someone who's been practicing for a couple years or who has been teaching for a year, a new teacher. And this is amazing. Don't get me wrong. And I don't mean to sound like a yoga snob because I get to take your classes all the time, but it doesn't, you, your teacher does matter. Um, I think that's a, something that maybe we could discuss. You have lots of favorite teachers, of course. Um, but something that someone told me once was don't worry about the style of yoga or don't worry about, don't worry about what did they say? Basically they just told me to go and find a teacher that you love and follow that teacher. Exactly. Wow. That's a, (laughs) that's a little, I guess an analogy for our relationship I took it quite literally, apparently, but, um, and also, oh God. Um, so yeah, tell me about yoga teachers because if anybody else out there is listening and it doesn't matter for what they practice, if it's yoga, if it's meditation, whatever, that that's okay. But if you can go and follow someone who you want to emulate, who you want to be like, who you like their teaching, I think that's very important, wouldn't you say? Totally. I mean, a teacher is going to either open the door for you to practice or if, you know, if maybe the teacher is not as inspiring as you wanted it to be or it didn't cause, like, the good impression for you, like, probably those people are are most, uh, uh, how can I say it, are, are, aren't going to come back, you know, like, or it's going to take them, like, uh, more time to find a teacher that they really like. The thing is that the teacher, how you treat your students, how you, hey, if you smile to them, is to, if you acknowledge them with kindness, with love, I see all of you, right? I really like to like be there present for them. That first impression, I think, is just so important. It either opens the door for people to come to your classes or it closes it, you know? What else should people look for in a yoga teacher? Well, I think, you know, that that connection uh, with the practice um, is not just about the alignment or how well you teach your students, you know, where your knee has to go or your shoulders level or relax the tongue. That is that a classic <laughs> of mine. Which is so which is so important, <laughs> right? If you're going to a yoga class right now and it seems dangerous or the teacher's pushing you to places where you don't want to be, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, you need to 
dial it back. You need to be careful because it's your body, it's your practice, but also the teacher should really be evaluated because you don't need to get hurt in class. Of course. I mean, I think teachers have to, you know, have charisma. Um, those who doesn't have the charisma <laughs> have their, you know, the good teaching. But I think personally, like, when I when I follow a teacher, of course I want to follow because they inspired me. They have knowledge, right? They're loving and caring and they really practice what they have studied. You know, like, if not, where is the soul? Where is the passion, right? So I would take a teacher that, of course, knows about the alignment, about anatomy, about, you know, uh, the med med meditation techniques, about the yoga sutras, you know, that kind, that I know that they are knowledgeable. But, of course, the other side is so important, too. Charisma, and to me, now in this part, not this time, well, I've been practicing for so long, spirituality is... It's a must in a teacher, you know, like it's what makes the practice uh, and take it to the next level. level. Okay, could you, um, there's a couple questions that I want to ask. One is, uh, well, let's, let's talk about the spiritual part for a second mm -hmm. so that people out there don't quite understand what does yoga have to do with spirituality? Is it a religion? Mm -hmm. Is it a cult? Can you clear that up with what you might be connecting with while you're practicing yoga? Well, yoga, as you guys might know, if you are into yoga or those who doesn't know, is yoga means union, you know? So we live in, the, in, a, you know, in a world where everything is uh, focused on the exterior things. And in your mind, how good you are at your job, you know, how many, how many books have you read, blah, blah, blah. And of course, how we look like, if we are like this, or if we're like that, or our hair is like that. So, but we don't really acknowledge that call of the soul, that call of the heart. You know, like we stay in these outside things, outsider things, and we don't look inside. Like, because it's so difficult to look inside and realize how much, excuse me the word, guys, shit we have inside, we rather focus in the exterior and try, we try to fix everything through the extern, uh, externally. But to us, it's really difficult to look deep inside and to see, wow, okay, I really need to be, to do a change. And that change comes within. So yoga brings that spirituality because you have to look deep within and find the love that you have for yourself find the love that you have for others or if you're really kind to yourself yoga is all about kindness yoga is not about how good you do the handstand or whatever you know is how good you get to love and connect to yourself